Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your hands, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? You've made him for a little while lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. What is man? What is man? What do you think man is? It's a question that human beings have always asked. Uh, what is man? What is woman? What does it mean to be a child? What does it mean to exist? What does it mean to be in this world? What is man? You know, when a child begins to wake up to the world, begins to realize that he or she is alive, it isn't long before they ask that question, who am I? Who am I? What am I doing here? Uh, what's the point of this? How do I fit in? Why am I here? You know, there's one thing I do understand. It's something I do know about our existence and that we were born to wonder. We were born for that very thing, to start to think about, hey, who, are, who, who am I? And we were born to seek out an answer. We were born to seek. When I look at your heavens, the work of your hands, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Uh, now, we know that Psalm 8 is not only about humanity in general, but it's also about, and even more so, about the Messiah. Uh, the writer of Hebrews makes that clear. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. Psalm 8, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. The context of Hebrews 2 is the person of Jesus Christ. Psalm 8 is about Jesus Christ. Our question about who we are comes back to Jesus Christ. We understand our existence based upon Jesus Christ. And yet on that dark day 2,000 years ago, on that Friday of our Lord's Passion, what we now call Holy Week, Good Friday, on that day 2,000 years ago, the followers of Jesus were filled with fear and doubt. They didn't just wonder about the good things, they wondered about what was going on here. How could this person be crucified? Uh, maybe this isn't the Messiah after all. Maybe not. Uh, a Messiah who dies? That doesn't make any sense. And how could it be? And what does this mean? There are a few things we do know from the story. First, we know that Jews observed the death of Jesus Christ, that those who did uh, observe his death, and, uh, and also those who were following but then scattered these people who knew of jesus they at least believed in their core in the grandeur of human beings that human beings were 
were made for something special, that God had his hand on human beings. They really believed that. And so, and so Genesis 1, 26 and 27, then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And so it was only to human beings that God addressed specifically. God did not speak to goats in the way that he spoke to human beings. God did not speak to dogs in the same way he spoke to human beings. God spoke to human beings, and and the first human beings were told this, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Human beings were something different. They were something special. They were the ultimate creation, if you will. And so those people who, who were considering this crucified Messiah in their core knew, they knew that human beings were supposed to be something different, something special, that there was a grandeur to man and woman. So that's the first thing that we know. But there's a second thing that we know as well, and that is this great puzzle that was before them. They knew there was a puzzle before them. Here was the greatest man whoever lived, the man who did miracles, the man who loved people, the man who, who had done so many good things and righteous things in Judea, and yet it seems to be a lie that day. At that moment, it seemed to be all for nothing. Uh, this man who did miracles, why doesn't he do the miracle right now of saving himself? And so Jesus was mocked and he was told on the cross, come down from the cross, save yourself. But he didn't do it. He went all the way to the cross and was crucified. He was mocked, scorned, spit upon, whipped, and ultimately crucified. That man, the greatest man of all men, brought to nothing. Who am I? What is man? What is woman? Do you know that on that day, humankind could only come to one conclusion? All those outside of Jesus himself could only have one conclusion. That all human beings were brought to nothing. There must not be any hope. That was what they were going through. And yet, underneath it all, this is the strange thing in the story. And underneath it all, in the background that our Gospels bring just a little bit into the foreground, there was actually a miracle happening. Uh, This is kind of like grace. Grace always going before us, always working behind us, underneath us, around us. There was a miracle going on even in the midst of the crucifixion. You see, I told Cindy I wouldn't quote from this, but I'm going to do it. Isaiah 53, verse 9 says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. A rich man, really? A rich man in his death? See, this was all happening around Jesus Christ at this time. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tells us all about it. In Luke we read, Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. 
He was a member of the council. Uh, that's the Sanhedrin, by the way. A ruling council, the ruling council of, of Jerusalem. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and their action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. Now, Joseph of Arimathea, he shows up on the page of Scripture. What's up, the, what's, what's up with this? Who is this guy? Who is this man in Scripture? Well, remarkably, and we might even say miraculously, he was a member of that council that put Jesus to death. And then at the same time, he began to work behind the scenes. He was behind the scenes in such a way that this man on this cross would be honored and valued. Now, the Sanhedrin had the power to execute people. That was one of the things that they had. Uh, people could be executed by the Sanhedrin. And, and, and we know that there are four things that the Sanhedrin would do in order, if they were going to if they were going to execute someone there are four methods of, of execution one was stoning the other was another was burning very gruesome another was decapit, uh, decapitation cutting off your head and then there was strangulation but you know what they had a problem what could they really accuse this man of this Jesus that was a challenge for them Let's give him to the Romans. We know what the Romans will do with him. And so it was given to the Romans for execution, their style, which was crucifixion. That had to be a huge problem for Joseph, right? For Joseph of Arimathea. Luke tells us that he was a member of the council. Not only was he a member of the council, in fact, but he was also, he says this, he says, says he was a good and righteous man, that he had not consented to their decision or their action. And he was seeking the kingdom of God. I hope that makes you wonder just a little bit about what God was doing. You see, even in the darkest times, at the darkest moment, God's always working. Now, there are times in your life, in my life, when things are really dark. But you know what? God is always working. We just don't know who he's working in around us. God was working in Joseph of Arimathea. His identity was somehow caught up in this man. We don't exactly know why, but he was caught up in this man. God, who am I in these circumstances? You can hear Joseph saying this. Who am I in these circumstances? I, I, I can't consent to, the, consent to the council's decision. I can't consent to find Jesus, this good and righteous person, this miracle worker, this one who, who many hope to be the Messiah. What can I do? What can I do? And the Gospels tell us that Jesus was valued by him. You know why we know this? Because he gave him his tomb. And that may seem like a small thing to us, but it was not a small thing back then. You see, it was a tomb cut out of stone. Do you know how people in those days were buried? Almost all Jews were buried by digging a trench wasn't very flattering. wasn't a very good way to be buried. But because people were dirt poor, that's how they were buried. They dug a trench. 
They normally put a, uh, a shroud, a linen shroud over the body because they tried to honor the body, but they had no money. They couldn't put their body in a, in a, in a tomb. So they dug that trench and they put a shroud around the body. Some people who had maybe just a little bit more money were able to go into a wooden coffin. And they put that body in the ground and put the dirt over it and that was done. Maybe a little bit of a stone showing something about this person's life. But that was it. So here we have Jesus disgraced on the cross but unexpectedly valued by a man who was relatively unknown to the gospel community because God's at work in places we never expect. Joseph went and asked Pilate for the body. He took the risk of being associated with this man. Just imagine what the rest of the council would think. But he did it anyway. And he took the body down from the cross and wrapped him in a shroud and he buried him among the rich before the sun went down because when the sun went down, it was the Sabbath because Jews started their day and still start their day when the sun goes down, not when the sun comes up. One of the messages tonight is that God is always at work in the places that you and I never see and never expect. Some of the greatest people and some of the greatest preachers of the gospel are people we would never, ever give that job to. But God has his way. A God, what is that man that righteous man who was such a embarrassment. Who's that man that you are mindful of him? Who are you that God is mindful of you? Who are you? Could God be at work in your life? Could God be at work in unexpected places? Would you pray with me? Our Father and our Almighty God, your Son Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And he was lifted up on the cross so that he would draw all the world to him. That doesn't make sense to us because he was shamed on the cross. And rather than all the world being drawn to him, all the world should have left him, but all people came to him. Lord, we ask that you would um, grant us Christ's glory, that we also would be faithful unto death, and that you would give your salvation to everyone who faithfully follows him. We know that you have promised this, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read this from, uh, from verse 39 of chapter 22. Okay, And he came out and went, 
as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, "Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation." While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him. Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw that uh, what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay your hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. I'll be reading Luke 22, 54 through 71. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him in to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then the servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This, is, or this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered saying, <clears throat> remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophecy, who is that who struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. 
But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. I'll be reading from Luke 23, 1 through 17. Then the whole body of them got up and brought him before, before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. When Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem at the time. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him for a long time, because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod and his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been enemies with each other. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Now he was obligated to release them at the feast one prisoner. Okay, I'm reading Luke 23, verses 18, 18 through 25. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. I'm reading from Luke 23:26 through 49. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put him on the cross. 
and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that have never born and the breasts that have never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they were crucified there with him. On his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what we deserve, what our deeds are. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I will tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and the darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely, this is a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. The scripture that I'm going to be reading is in Luke uh, chapter 23, starting with verse 39. And as in preparation for this, you know, I read it a number of times. And the thing that became even so incredible to me, just as I read and you can see it in your minds, but how all of a sudden people began opening their eyes as to who he really was, while others hung him out. For it, to open, for it to just open up so they see who he really is when he's at the worst place, I think is amazing. So just, just listen to this. It's, it's really kind of cool. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. 
Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple, it was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed, breathed his last. This is the cool part now. Watch this. The centurion, seeing what happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And when all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what actually took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. I'm reading Luke 23, verses 50 to 56. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision in action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. So we have the cross in front of us. Uh, look around. These are your brothers and sisters. This is your family. The scriptures teach that our family are the people of God. And that the people of God are actually come even before our physical family. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is your family. And your brother was crucified. Take the green sheet and follow after this. Respond with holy God and holy and mighty God. Have mercy upon us. Oh, my people. Oh, my church. What have I done to you? Or, or what have I offended you? 
I led you forth from the land of Egypt and delivered you by the waters of baptism, but you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Holy God, holy and mighty God, have mercy upon us. I led you through the desert 40 years and fed you with manna. I brought you through times of persecution and of renewal and gave you my body, the bread of heaven, but you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Holy God, holy and mighty God, have mercy upon us. I made you branches of my vineyard and gave you the water of salvation. But when I was thirsty, you gave me vinegar and gall. You pierced with the spear the side of your Savior. Holy God, holy and mighty God, have mercy upon us. I went before you in a pillar of cloud, but you have led me to the, to the judgment hall of Pilate. I brought you to a land of freedom and prosperity, but you have scourged, mocked, and beaten me. Holy God, holy and mighty God, have mercy upon us. I gave you a royal scepter and bestowed the keys to the kingdom, but you have given me a crown of thorns. I raised you on high with great power, but you have hanged me on the cross. Holy God, holy and mighty God, have mercy upon us. My peace I gave, which the world cannot give. I washed your feet as a servant, but you drew or you, but you draw the sword to strike in my name and seek high places in my kingdom. Holy God, holy and mighty God, have mercy upon us. I accepted this cup of suffering and death for your sakes, but you scatter and deny and abandon me. I sent the spirit of truth to lead you, but you chose your hearts to guidance, or you close your hearts to guidance. Holy God, holy and mighty God, have mercy upon us. I called you to go and bring forth fruit, but you cast lots for my clothing. I pray that you all may be one, but you continue to quarrel and divide. Holy God, holy and mighty God, have mercy upon us. I grafted you into the tree of my chosen people, Israel, but you turned on them with persecution and mass murder. I made you joint heirs with them of my covenants. But you made them scapegoats for your own guilt. Holy God, holy and mighty God, have mercy upon us. I came to you as the least of your brothers and sisters. I was hungry, but you gave me no food. Thirsty, but you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, but you did not welcome me. Naked, but you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, but you did not visit me. Holy God, holy and mighty God, have mercy upon us. Our Lord has done everything. He's given us his life. He gave his life on the tree. Friends and brothers and sisters, if the cross doesn't change us, nothing will change us. Throughout all of the Bible, throughout all of salvation history, God wanted a people who would be holy like he is holy. He wanted a people who would be loving as he is loving. He wanted a family as he is the Trinity, three in one. So he wanted a family that would be in relationship. This is what God wants from you and from me. This is what God wants from our church, that we would be his family. And that we would be there when someone is hurting in the family. 
that we would love one another, not only in words, but also in deeds. That one day we would be able to go before him and he would indeed say, well done, good and faithful servant. But you know what he would also say? I certainly hope he says this to me. Well done, my son. Well done, my child. You have loved me. And I love you. Would you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.